0: Welcome to Career Buzz, Canada's unique radio conversation that empowers lives, enriches careers, and energizes organizations. Today on your show, from two-spirit wellness to virtual reality to yoga therapy, Career Buzz goes to the annual conference of the Canadian Counseling and Psychotherapy Association. Hi, I'm Mark Franklin, practice leader of a team of professional career counselors at CareerCycles.com and I'm pleased to be your host today on Career Buzz. Thanks for tuning in. The CCPA is a national bilingual organization of professionally trained counselors. CCPA's members work in diverse fields of education, employment, and career development, social work, business industry, mental health, public service, and government. In 2019, the conference was jointly presented with the International Association for Counseling. It was held May 13-16, to 16, 2019, at the Delta Beau Ségur Hotel in Moncton, New Brunswick, and I was your Career Buzz correspondent at the conference. There's been an explosive growth of technology in recent years, and with it, we've seen an equal growth in the use of technology in counseling and psychotherapy. Sherry Law is active on the CCPA's Technology and Innovations Solutions chapter. She speaks about tech and counseling. Stay tuned for my interview with Sherry Law in the second half of today's show. Also coming up, the fascinating career stories of Amy Rubin and Christina Gentile, both active at the intersection of yoga and counseling. And there's more for CCPA members and others interested in counseling Career Stories, we have two more bonus interviews for you here, Rebecca Hudson-Breen and Brianna Lawrence, both professors in counseling, speaking about exploring social justice in career life counseling, and a second bonus interview brings you association leadership stories. We have Simone Lambert, she's president of the American Counseling Association, Dion Mifsud, outgoing president of the International Association for Counseling, and Valentina Shishinova is a Canadian certified counselor in the North American Rep., in the International Association for Counseling. Here are the two bonus interviews at CareerCycles.com and click the podcast link. But first, working through trauma is always challenging, but seeking help as a queer indigenous person is often so complex many people don't reach out. Stell Raven deconstructs the Western view of gender. Stell's keynote at the conference was called queering and decolonizing trauma work, a path for two-spirit wellness. Stell Raven is an indigenous queer trans two-spirit individual with a master of social work. They work as a clinical therapist in private practice, specializing in queer trans and two-spirit wellness, as well as recovery from complex trauma. Here's my interview with Stell Raven. Stell Raven, welcome to Career Buzz. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. What do you like about your career these days? I really appreciate the
1: flexibility I'm being able to work when I want to work. I really dive into things that I'm really interested in and then take time away when it works for me, not having to work to somebody else's schedule.
0: Nice. We're here at the Canadian Counseling and Psychotherapy Association Conference. You gave a keynote, a wonderful keynote, just this morning. So I know you do keynotes. Mm-hmm. What else do you do? What is your career these days?
1: Mm, so I big chunk of my career is working in private practice. So doing individual therapy sessions or family group therapy sessions. Also group work um, with a specialty focusing on complex trauma and or issues relating to queer or trans identities. And I also teach and I facilitate workshops with various organizations of, from groups, businesses, community organizations that are looking to increase their awareness about things relating to either trauma or queer and trans
0: identities. Nice. So in all that work one-on-one and teaching and speaking, what would you say the top few skills or strengths that you draw on to be, to be successful?
1: Mm. You know, I think probably one of the largest strengths that I bring to the table is just my lived experience as a queer, trans, two-spirit individual, as an indigenous individual, having been able to take my lived experiences and learn from them and implement them in the way that I present as a therapist as well as an educator
0: like authenticity almost like being true to your experience your lived experience it's an interesting answer i i ask that question a lot on career buzz and authenticity it's an interesting perspective on a strength so Mm -hmm. i appreciate that
1: yeah it's like what i mentioned in my keynote when i said for me the personal is professional there is no divide in those worlds for me and that's something i feel really strongly about and especially as an, an indigenous individual I've been taught by elders and um, community members that that authenticity bringing my whole self to the things I'm engaging in that's really the essence of life and I think that's one of the things that I really also appreciate about where I'm at in my career now is I get to do that wholeheartedly I don't have somebody else who is Telling me, well, actually, this part of who you are or this value set that you have, you need to shift during these interactions or for this
0: period of time. Shift. I mean, we're going to talk about self-censoring, and I know that's a topic you speak about. So, but bringing your whole self in a wholehearted way. So nice to hear. Um, I'm speaking to uh, Stell Raven. They uh, do counseling, consulting, and collaboration. I'm your host, Mark Franklin, here on Career Buzz. So, um, Stell, if if we looked at one, maybe two turning points in your career that brought you to this really kind of unique place where you're doing the one-on-one, teaching, facilitating in that authentic voice, how did you get here? What's a quick uh, turning point story that you can share with listeners? I
1: think the biggest turnaround point for me was a place that I know many mental health professionals get to, and that's the place of Brown. And many years ago, I was just at a place, it was still quite early in my career, but I just, I felt overwhelmed with the caseloads that were being presented to me. I felt so internally conflicted with how I wanted to engage as a therapist, but the limitations that agencies were putting on me, and I just felt it was soul-sucking, really. (laughs) And for me, I had, to, I had to walk away, and I had to figure out for my own health and well-being. I'm also a parent of um, an 11-year-old, they're currently 11 and 8, and for me it was really important that I was able to engage in that relationship in a way that was healthy. And I had parts of myself left for them, that they weren't just getting the leftovers, and I couldn't continue to practice the way that I was practicing and parent the way that I wanted to parent. So I I had to take the risk of stepping away. And rebuilding something that actually worked. Hmm. How long ago was that? That would have been probably six years six ago. Six years ago.
0: And and just to clarify for listeners, prior to that you mentioned agency. So you were working as like a social worker or a counselor in a funded agency. Right, yeah, with different provincial health boards. Got it. Great. So so let's turn our attention to some of the topics that you covered this morning. Just to, to pick one to begin with, you talked about self censoring and you know, many people experienced that when you spoke about it. I could relate to it and I I know I've spoken to thousands of clients myself and especially in the workplace what kinds of self-censoring do you notice do you hear from your clients that goes on in a workplace setting that's a really good question I think especially if we're looking at gender
1: identity and sexual orientation there's a lot of self-censoring that come with that of questioning how open can I speak about my experiences we're in a workplace so you know, we're, we're talking about the things we're engaging with professionally, but there's also elements of ourselves that we, we bring to our workplace. For some individuals who aren't part of marginalized populations, you might just throw out pieces without having to think about it. But oftentimes, you know, if you're talking about transition-related stuff or partners who are the same gender, there's this moment, almost a pause, that needs to happen of, can I share that? What will the response be? if I share this piece of
0: who I am, even if it is just
1: a very casual response.
0: So if we go from the um, self-censoring that an individual might do and experience, let's go over to the organizational side for a second. You know, one of the topics that you covered this morning was decolonization. Mm-hmm. You know, and we all, like for C- Canadians anyways, we know this was a... Colonized country, we know the word, and as you were pointing out we 're all familiar with the word, mm-hmm. um, but just to take it down a level and say, what does this actually mean you know and I know I appreciated you you spent some time on definitions, and maybe we actually need that here before we move on to how an organization might implement some of the values of decolonization. You did make the distinction between um, indigenizing mm-hmm. and decolonizing. Maybe we could right. just start briefly and let <coughs> listeners know what do we actually mean by these two terms.
1: Mm. So indigenizing would be the process of implementing indigenous ways of being into a program, including the way policies are written, the way the organization is established or structured, decolonizing would be taking a step back and looking at how has an organization been created and how has Western perspectives been really oftentimes that's what's valued. So it's not even that's not even questioned. It's this is the way this agency is going to run and be created. And a colonial viewpoint is just so much a part of our Western culture that we often don't even think about it. And the distinction is that indigenizing material and organizations really is something that is a place for individuals who are indigenous who are familiar with culture, who have those experience and that knowledge base, but decolonizing is something that is, there's a role for everybody, regardless of your lived experience, regardless if you're indigenous or not, or a member of a marginalized population or not. We all have a role to play in the process of decolonization. All right,
0: so let's take up that role now, Mm -hmm. right? And from an organizational point of view, I mean, you spoke this morning to a whole room full of counselors and therapists and That's one group, and we counselors and therapists have a specific perspective that we should keep in mind to kind of lens. But now organizations, what can they do? What would you say to an organization if they said, Hey, Stel, come on in and help us learn your perspective. We want to understand this better. And we want to, you know, implement these decolonizing values. Where do you even begin Mm. with that?
1: You know, I think one of the most important things before you can begin a process of decolonizing is actually to learn about and honor the history of colonization. You can't decolonize something if you don't understand what colonization is. And we're kind of moving in a place where we're starting to talk about colonization as if it's the past and it's really important that we honor and recognize that it's actually something that's continuing to happen it's not something that's happened in the past it's something that continues to happen today in many ways formally and informally so one of the first things that an organization needs to do is learn the history learn understand what are the impacts of colonization and how has our agency been built through colonial lands
0: agency or any workplace not just an agency we could have an organization a not-for-profit a for-profit right a committee (laughs) anything can really maybe just put a a shout out i did a thing called the kairos blanket project are you familiar with that Mm -hmm, yes right just as a way to learn the history it's a very powerful experiential thing many canadians can access this they go around i think the country yes to do that um as one form of learning you know what was the experience of colonization and it was a pretty moving and impactful experience mm-hmm. so what can what can listeners do if they want to start kind of getting a grasp on the history and it's not just history as you say it's past and present right besides doing the kairos blanket project which i encourage listeners to check out how else do we begin to learn that history
1: um, there are books that have been written by indigenous individuals that talk about the impacts of colonization there are there are podcasts that are out there there are youtube videos there are one i think gaining knowledge from all sources is important it's important to be critical and to really think and assess where is this information coming from who is writing this information because there are, some individuals might be writing things who don't have this lived experience so you know you have to be mindful of where you're gaining the information but it is becoming more and more accessible I caution individuals to not expect indigenous folks to be the ones who are responsible for educating you it's not your colleague who's you know sitting beside you in the office it's not their role to give you that that information that's harmful that perpetuates Um, The experiences of colonization, the experiences of self-censoring, all of those things, it's a really difficult situation to navigate if you're the one who's being put in that position of trying to educate those around you. So it's really your job to seek out that knowledge, that knowledge base, and then to talk with individuals who are putting themselves in a position where they're saying, I want to educate you. Like myself being here in this role, I'm making a very clear message that I want to educate other individuals about this. So it's all right to and ask me about this.
0: My guest today is uh, Estelle Raven. They do counseling, consulting, and collaboration. I'm your host, Mark Franklin, here on Career Buzz. Uh, Estelle, can you just remind listeners the name of that keynote that you gave this morning, just Mm -hmm. to kind of put some context around it. It was a pretty impactful title.
1: Right. It was Aquarian and Decolonizing Trauma work, a Two Spirit journey
0: to wellness. So even just that, as listeners hear that, right? There's so many things that we could talk about, but in in a minute or two more, I just want to pick up on what you're saying, and if we could kind of take that decolonizing perspective and give some examples, like turn it into something. It's these assumptions almost that are unspoken, that are things that are going on because of the colonizing effects. Can you provide us with one or two examples that might kind of give people a sense of what that would look like if we're trying to decolonize our organizations? What's an Mm -hmm. example? One example could just be
1: work ethic and the assumption that individuals, the assumption that if somebody is not prioritizing the work that they're doing, that that has some sort of comment on their work ethic. When really it's not a comment about work ethic at all it's a it's a comment about values and if you value maybe family or um, wellness through a different lens sometimes that can create dynamics within workplaces connecting specifically to some of the things i was talking about in the keynote um, in relation to gender identity and the assumption that we all walk this world as either male or female, and that we're more aware that trans identities exist, but that that means that you were assigned female at birth and now you want to identify as male, or vice versa, that there's we're not making space for this other way of being that is actually really much broader than just male or female, an assumption that if you are transitioning that it looks this way, that it's a linear path when really our life is not linear, we're so you know, murky. I had that ball of yarn up on the slide during the presentation, and that really is life. That's yeah. all elements of life is yeah. we're, we're this really murky ball of yarn that's very colorful. Yeah.
0: If I could just pick up on that, because I thought it was really powerful in your talk, that the, um, the gender identity piece and the two-spirit quality that you talked about, And you gave a couple of quotes from missionaries or whatever, Mm -hmm. and then the the quotes clearly showed how the colonizer, the missionaries, looked at the two-spirited people, which seemed pretty normal to indigenous communities back then, and they just saw that as an aberration that needed to be fixed. The Mm -hmm. quote was brilliant. I thought that was very impactful. So what you're saying is in our organizations, even this idea that there's such a thing as A clearly delineated, binary, gendered world is a colonized perspective. Mm -hmm. It is.
1: And how do we make space for different experiences? And, And that can be, you know, into very tangible ways of how do we make space for individuals who are engaging in different variations of transition in the workplace? How do we go about Supporting them so clients they're working with are they feel support from their agency? So when they're navigating, they no, well, I don't have to navigate these
0: difficulties within my agency. You know, just to pull the threads together now. I mean, if you gave a talk along the lines of what you gave this morning into an organization, if they invited you in to do the talk, what what is that talk that you want to give to? organizations in general would it still be called the same thing do you have another name for it mm. what, what would we be doing if we were out there talking to organizations across this land
1: i think the title would shift because it wouldn't be it wouldn't be about the journey of wellness for two-spirit identity it would be the wellness within workplace and how do we create that environment that community within all the places that we work, be it nonprofits, large corporations, committee works that we're doing. Yeah, I can
0: see a subtitle for that, Workplace Wellness, and some sort of subtitle that (laughs) brings in this decolonizing perspective. Um, Estelle, last question, just to pull threads together. Now that you've had your own lived experience, some listeners are trying to wonder what they're going to do next in their career and life. What's one thing that you can share with listeners about something you've learned to make good life and career choices now that you've shared a bit of your own story you're stepping away from the agency right what what's one thing you've learned that you can share with listeners about that as they journey on their path
1: the time will never feel right there won't be that moment when you go now is the time when it's the right time to make these changes that I want to make you'll feel the anxiety you are taking a risk if you're trying to shift the way you're doing things there is risk involved and you'll feel that you'll feel the anxiety and you know it's back to that cliche saying of take the leap and trust the net will be there it really that really is so important to keep in mind
0: Great advice Stell Raven thanks so much for joining us here on Career Buzz Thank you. I'll come back. That was my interview with Stell Raven at the Canadian Counseling and Psychotherapy Association Conference. I'm your host, Mark Franklin, here on Career Buzz. I wasn't great advice at the end of uh, their interview. You know, the moment will never feel right if you're trying to make that choice or decision in your career or life. You know, it's not like it's going to just be so obvious and 100% clear that it, you will feel anxiety and you will feel uncertain, um, but embrace that and, and go ahead. And Stell certainly was living evidence of that of that fact. Very impressive. Much appreciated, Raven. thanks for joining us on Career Buzz. I'm next up, there's been an explosive growth of technology in recent years and with it, we've seen an equal growth in the use of technology in counseling and psychotherapy. Sherry Law is active on the CCPA's Technology and Innovative Solutions chapter and uh, she's an expert in all things at the intersection of counseling, psychotherapy and technology. Here is our interview with Sherry Law. My guest today is Sherry Law, she's a researcher And consultant in counseling therapy and technology. Welcome uh, back to Career Buzz Sherry, thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So you wear many hats, what are those different hats you wear in your career and what do you like about it overall?
2: So one of the roles that I employ, um, I'm currently still the president of the technology and innovative solutions chapter of the Canadian Counseling and Psychotherapy Association. Um, I'm also an independent researcher uh, funded by multiple agencies in virtual reality research alongside aging healthcare. Um, and I'm a licensed counseling therapist uh, employed with the government in, in New Brunswick. What do you
0: enjoy about all of those roles?
2: The diversity, um, the impact. Uh, it's very meaningful work because it's directed, it's self-directed. Um, I was able to explore a lot of the um, problems in society that uh, piqued my curiosity and meaningfully engage in it in a way that's self-sustainable.
0: Nice. Well, what are some skills or, or strengths you use to be successful in this really diverse career?
2: Um, a, a very central skill that's needed for the type of work that I do is a uh, resilience against people who, um, well, not necessarily people, but the the urge to go with the flow um, I'm, I feel very comfortable not doing what everyone else is doing. And I think it's important to have that resolve uh, and tinker with new ideas and new technologies.
0: Nice. So you talk about technologies and, you know, for listeners, they might not connect uh, technology and counseling and therapy. Like, you know, many people think of those two things quite separately. So how did you b- begin to marry these two things up to blend them in your work?
2: So I've always been comfortable around technology because my father uh, was interested in technology himself. He's a very curious mind. I developed um, an appetite for that type of curiosity. And personally, the the work in counseling therapy was because I wanted to help people. And the reality is I have to go to sleep. I get sick sometimes, I have to take holidays. And so I'm not serving as many people as I would like. Technology seems to be a very elegant solution to that type of problem where I can extend my hand in in servitude to others. much further than otherwise.
0: So what what is an example of the use of technology in in counseling and therapy?
2: So right now, there's still a dearth of research. And and because of my role as the president in the Technology and Innovative Solutions chapter, uh, we're currently going to be launching um, our national guidelines on the ethical use of technology. Because of the dearth of research, there are a lot of ethical concerns around uh, the use of technology in counseling therapy. However, with my work with research in virtual reality, um, I'm interested in using it as an assistive technology. So it's not to replace my skill set as a counseling therapist. It's meant to be used as a supplement to um, perhaps uh, leverage my skills by employing visuals um, or environments that may assist in in alleviating uh, mood concerns.
0: Nice. So we've been involved in a bunch of that work. It's so interesting to hear where tech, you know, disrupts a lot of different jobs, experiences. Um, You mentioned the ethical use of technology. What are we guarding against? What is the worst case scenario or what are the problems, the misuses that we're trying to guard against with ethical practice?
2: So the scope of the concern is um, multifaceted. Not only are there concerns around, is this an appropriate technology for this counselling therapist to be using in the first place, you know, um, is texting an ethical uh, modality for employing counselling work? Um, However, there's also the other side of the spectrum, which is, okay, well, who is creating these, these technologies? How is the information that's being transmitted being used? How much autonomy do each user have in terms of where their um, information goes? You know, we uh, we have many popular stories right now in, with regards to concerns over privacy in social media. Um, and on top of that, there's a lot of um, hacking that happens as well. So even Equifax, a mm, very large company, cannot prevent uh, from being breached in terms of their security. And so it, it's a matter of... Um, Folks, counseling therapists, primarily because we have to be very um, serious in terms of our clients' confidentiality. But there's so much unknown about the technology world that it's uh, you know it's, it's really important to begin those discussions around it.
0: My guest today is Sherry Law. She heads up the innovation and technology chapter for the Canadian Counseling and Psychotherapy Association. I'm Mark Franklin, your host here on Career Buzz. Um, so, Sherry, let me just push that a little bit more you You were mentioning about some of the issues um, you 're hinting at privacy and potential breach of privacy. You mentioned something else. Is this even a an appropriate technology but again. Could, could you take listeners down that that road like what's the problem what might yeah. be an inappropriate use so that we can again learn why we should be guarding against this
2: so earlier today um, I was part of a panel uh, on uh, it was hosted by the International Association of counselors it was a, a panel on um, ethical practice and specifically we discussed technology and um, sue she explained a story whereby a practitioner was utilizing mobile texting as a way of communicating with their client. The client was asking, I don't want to take, or I, I, should I be continuing to take this uh, psychoactive medication? I don't want to, I don't need it. And the counselor just said, yeah, sure, stop taking it. In three days, that client ended up committing suicide. And so with the use of technology, um, because there's a whole lack of uh, information, context, um in-depth conversation, you're losing a lot of information when you're using certain types of technologies like texting. It could lead to disastrous outcomes. And uh, so not only was this example, uh, you know, met with the cost of human life, but also in other ways. Um, I know uh, I won't l- name this agency, but I know an agency who uses uh, some some uh, very available um, servers to host shared client files within the agency, and one person was trying to access their own files, a, a roster of clients, I think some 20-odd clients with multiple months of data, um, the file just disappeared. Someone could have just deleted it because they couldn't appreciate the the, mag- uh, the, the gravity of having a shared system for client file keeping, um, and it was on Google Drive. So, so th- there's there's quite a bit of concern and consequence alongside of this, uh, and and it goes beyond just this practice, but the safety of everybody.
0: All right, thanks for thanks for those examples. The dramatic example of the medication story and the texting, I think, says says a lot, and I think it's important to, for us to think about what the. Negative consequences are so we can talk about the positive effects of ethical practice. Yes. Um, the other area that sounds really interesting is this assistive approach, and you mentioned virtual reality. Mm-hmm. So take us into the future, Sherry. Where does virtual reality have a role in these kind of helping professions?
2: So virtual reality is uh, not as far off. Um, in the future as we may think. The terminology might sound very futuristic, but some of these pieces of very advanced uh, consumer grade equipment is already available on the shelves for a couple hundred bucks. You know, PlayStation has uh, a virtual reality headset. And so um, the way that this, um, for for the audience members who've never heard of virtual reality before, uh, imagine a pair of ski goggles whereby you wear it, and when you look to the left, um, you see a vista, you know, perhaps mountainsides to your left. You look to the right, you move your head, you adjust your body and you see a lake to the right. You look up, you see the sky, you look down, you see that you're on the top of a very, very high mountain. Meanwhile, your physical body is still inside your home. So the virtual reality systems allow you to feel as though you are in a location that's completely simulated and generated by a computer. Um, This has very deep uh, implications in terms of therapeutic practice. You can convince a client um, that they're anywhere that you design them to be, as long as you can afford the software, of course.
0: So now, rather than being on the top of a mountain looking at a lake and so on, could we, for instance, um, be in a therapist's office and have a virtual therapist? What are the opportunities and applications within the helping professions of using this technology?
2: Mm-hmm. so the specific example that you're giving mark it um so yes, the answer is yes, you can absolutely have a virtual reality session uh, for for counseling therapy um, it, There's still a lot of ethical concerns to to uh, go through before that happens, but hypothetically it can happen. And in which case some of the benefits are accessibility. So a person can be at their home and they can see a specialist in trauma located in London uh, where the client lives in Manchester, New York. Um, And on top of that, there's also a layer of, uh, of illusion where a person can design their avatar to be whatever they want. Um, so if they are of a, of a cultural background, a visible minority, marginalized group, all that seemingly disappears because you cannot see the other person. And in the same way, the, the therapist cannot be seen. And so the biases that the client might hold against you know, certain assumptions about certain types of people in the therapeutic practice uh, may also vanish. So the context of the relationship changes uh, with the use of some of these technologies.
0: I guess it also depends on um, who wrote the algorithm for the behavior of that virtual therapist.
2: Exactly. Um, so now you're talking about artificial intelligences, and certainly the uh, I, I believe there are some um, institutions in Texas that are playing around with um, artificial intelligence counseling therapists uh, within the context of military personnel. And... Surprisingly, uh, some folks seem much more comfortable around an AI than with an actual person, probably Wo-bot. because they're more simple. There's
0: one now, a commercial product called Wobot, like oh. robot, but wo- woe, W-O-E. Yes. Okay. So listeners can check that out. That's one of the AI tools. It's not virtual reality, but mm-hmm. it is an algorithm for handling cognitive wow. behavioral therapy. Very interesting. Listeners can check it out. Fire <laughs> beware. Sherry, thanks so much for sharing this. With this last question, just to bring, back, bring it back to the personal, you shared a little bit of your own twists and turns in your career. What's one thing you've learned um, about making good choices, about making good life and career choices that you've experienced from your own personal story that you can share with listeners?
2: Um, it's very easy, especially in my field, to um, start feeling like a, an imposter. Um, what I would say, uh, one thing that I learned most in terms of how my career has unfolded is to not focus too much on the self, um, be the megaphone from which the information that you learn and, and the experiences from your tinkering, uh, you know, from which it can be broadcast. So when I'm thinking about my competencies, it's not Within the framework of me, me, my identity, it's no. This is just stuff that that exists, and I'm I'm simply synthesizing and and, and bringing it all together. I'm an aggregator, um, and that's helped me to establish my value a lot. And establishing your value is absolutely fundamental um, in the type of career that I've been carving for myself.
0: Great advice, Sherry Law. Thanks so much for joining us here on Career Buzz. Thank you so much, Mark. That was my interview with Sherry Law. Wasn't that a great uh, point she makes? Be the uh, be the megaphone. Uh, get get out of yourself and be the megaphone for all those ideas that you have Um, I'm talking to speakers at the Canadian Counseling and Psychotherapy Association conference it was held in Moncton New Brunswick in May 2019 I'm your host Mark Franklin here on Career Buzz are you interested in yoga or therapy or yoga and therapy Amy Rubin is a yoga therapist. She's worked with hundreds of clients suffering from anxiety, depression, addiction, and chronic pain. Her conference session was called Yoga Therapy, Basic Frameworks and Therapeutic Techniques for Counselors and Other Professionals. Christina Gentile holds a Master's in Counseling Psych and works as a voice and yoga teacher. Her session was called Pranayama, Yogic Breathing Practice as Forces for Transformation in Counseling Psychology. Together, I had a chance to interview both Amy Rubin and Christina Gentile at the intersection of counseling and yoga. Here's my interview with them. My guests today are Amy Rubin, yoga therapist and counselor, and Christina Gentile, clinical counselor and certified yoga teacher. My name is Mark Franklin, host of Career Buzz. Thanks both of you for joining me today.
3: Thank you for having
4: us.
0: Amy, let's start with you. What what are you doing today in your career and what, what do you like about it? Mm-hmm.
4: Well, I have been a yoga teacher in the past and a counselor in the past and I am moving into private practice right now. And what I love about it is that uh, there's so much room. People can come anytime they're not feeling well and yoga offers such a wide variety of opportunities for people to suffer less. So we often think of Our physical ailments which certainly yoga therapy can help but uh, it's it's truly a holistic practice and with yoga therapy we get to start with the individual so it's not a cookie cutter class we're finding out who the person is and meeting them where they are
0: nice thanks Suffer less, I like the way you put that. Um, Christina, Gentile, over to you. What, what, are, what is all the different things that you do in your career and what do you like about it?
3: All right, so um, currently I'm working for Child Youth Mental Health in British Columbia. And uh, I'm a counselor there, um, but I'm also a yoga teacher. I was teaching at the University of Victoria. And uh, my specialization in yoga has been uh, pranayama, so breath control practices in specific to uh, alleviate stress-related conditions such as anxiety, depression, and other things like that. So um, I've really taken the focus on the breath, uh, the breathing practices, in the tradition, and to really uh, kind of analyze what is going on and how is it affecting the body.
0: Nice. And, and for both of you, and I, I should say to listeners, we're here at the um, Canadian Counseling and Psychotherapy Association Conference in Moncton, New Brunswick. Um, Christina, you just said you're out in B.C. Amy, where are you based?
4: I'm based in rural Nova Scotia, Bear River, Nova Scotia.
0: Bear River, okay, opposite sides of the country. You guys just met at this conference. We're going to find out more about your future collaborations in a moment. (laughs) What would you guys say are important skills or strengths? If listeners were interested in both the yoga teacher thing and counseling and you've blended them both, what are some skills or strengths that you use to be successful, Amy?
4: Well, I think that what's really important is being curious. And uh, having a genuine interest in, in a person's life and, and a person's expertise in where they're at and and what they what they're interested in and what they're ready for. And um, that's what makes this job never boring. Everyone has a different story. and our stories build who we are. And we have so many hidden strengths that sometimes just need the right environment to, to get uncovered and to kind of bubble up to the surface. And um, it just it just makes, it's, it's such a transformative, it, it's, it's watching people transform on a daily basis, which is so amazing. Nice.
0: Well, you sound like you're enthusiastic about it as well, which is good to have your yoga teacher really be into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about you, Christina, the skills and strengths that you use?
3: So I think um, having a holistic lens is really uh, important. I think uh, being able to, have that whole person perspective, but also a multicultural lens, because obviously uh, we are working from a tradition that, um, especially when we're talking about yoga, that derives from India, um, and so we want to be able to integrate that knowledge respectfully, and, and how is it also being adapted in Western society right now, but also in different religions and in faiths. Um, so it's really having that lens of the multicultural lens, but also the holistic lens of of being respectful in the teachings. Well, Absolutely. we could have a
0: whole other interview just on that topic, Absolutely. but I'm going to move us on. My guests today are Christina Gentile and Amy Rubin. My name is Mark Franklin, your host here on Career Buzz. Um, you both have come at this from different angles and have had some twists and turns in your career stories. Um, Christina, what what are a couple of twists and turns that brought you to the present situation?
3: So. I've had uh, quite a bit of a a rock and roll uh, background, Uh, so I actually started off as a musician. Um, I did two degrees in uh, voice performance, so um, I started off in pop, I did a classical degree, then I did a jazz degree. Uh, Both of my parents are opera singers, so I grew up in the world of uh, singing and breathing. So I've always been highly influenced by um, how we breathe and how we sing and how the voice projects and how that says so much about who we are as a person. And uh, when I was teaching voice uh, in a music school, I ended up having a lot of students complaining about their life to me and ended up counseling more than I was teaching voice. So then eventually I made the link that I uh, should probably go down the counseling route um, and integrate kind of what Diane Austin uh, refers to as vocal psychotherapy.
0: Wow, that's a lot of twists and turns there. Vocal psychotherapy. So we got everything except the yoga part.
3: Yes. So vocal psychotherapy kind of links in with the yoga part. So um, the yoga version of vocal psychotherapy would be called, I guess, the pranayama aspect and also the nada yoga, the yoga of sound. So those are two things that I've kind of really indulged in and then really I feel passionate about Um, and so there isn't much being done in that realm right now but I'm hoping to kind of keep going and uh, becoming one of those people who is going to keep teaching on the subject.
0: Great nice we're going to come back to that topic of what people can gain from that combination but Amy over to you what what are some twists and turns that brought you to to where you are now?
4: Mm-hmm. Well, I've definitely been twisty and turny, <laughs> also um, quite influenced by my parents. My father was a, a psychologist and is actually quite a respected and active internationally. And although that was an interest of mine and I did my, my undergrad in psychology, I think I needed a little bit of space. So I was like, I'm going to go do yoga and art. <laughs> and so I, I worked in, in the arts for about 12 years and also in yoga. Now, I came to yoga um, actually because I was having some issues with with body images and my relationship with exercise, and I felt like I had to basically stop moving for a while in order to reset my relationship with my body. And yoga gave me an opportunity to move from a point of view rather than trying to achieve a goal of just being, just being in my body which was really, really incredible. And um, I think that that really set the tone for me. And then as my life went on, and yoga continued to evolve in North America, and it became more and more athletic, I kind of took a step back because that wasn't really where I was coming from with it. And um, I noticed that I was thinking, okay, well, you know, I'm not gonna do this as a career, but I'll just see people one-on-one or I'll do a tiny class with three people who are going through something similar. And essentially that's what yoga therapy is, right? It's working very much individually with people who are transitioning and and working with something specific in their life. And then eventually I started working in uh, a drug and alcohol uh, residential center. Um, I was the clinical director there for a few years, and everything just kind of came together. There was an opportunity to, uh, as Christina said, really really take a holistic approach, and, and it was incredible to see how life-changing it was for people.
0: Wow, both really um, interesting stories that twist and turn. Um, we're going to find out a bit more about this unique combination. I'll, I'll remind listeners we're talking to uh, Amy Rubin, yoga therapist and counselor, Christina Gentile, clinical counselor and certified Yoga teacher. I'm your host, Mark Franklin, here on Career Buzz. What can listeners get from this unique combination? Both of you are working with breath and yoga and in the body, and then this counseling lens also. You know, maybe the place to start is the kinds of problems that people might encounter that would benefit from these resources? Christina. what sort of problems did you find? You know, you started way back there when, while these music students were complaining of stuff. What kind of problems were they complaining about, and then how do you now work with them?
3: Problems could range from uh, a a youth coming in saying, um, even before I hit the piano and said, let's do the scales, uh, someone would say, oh, I'm not going to sing that note. Or, I can't sing that high, and we were not even in the high range on the piano. And so having that conversation around, why do you think you can't hit that note? And what is blocking you emotionally? What is blocking you physically from being able to sing that note? Because I know just with your voice pitch and also with your probably ability to scream that high at least, that you could hit that note just by hearing somebody's vocal uh, range. And so having that conversation around what is energetically blocking you. And so when we're talking about energy, oftentimes then the yoga idea comes back in because we are talking about an energetic body and where is energy stuck in the body. So seeing the body really as um, a vessel for energy to move and oftentimes people have things that are stuck, especially around the voice, because we've been shut down so often in our lives, saying, oh, don't sing ever again, you sang out a tune, or you must be tone deaf, all these things that we hear in our life, and then all of a sudden we shut off vocally. And so going back to those narratives and then unblocking those narratives uh, from maybe a vocal perspective through singing, for example.
0: So when we, ha- when we say um, energy gets stuck and there's some sort of core belief or something that that stops people from even hitting a note. Like what, what would an example be of, of somebody who's kind of got some belief system about themselves or maybe a negative belief system that might be blocking them energetically?
3: So a belief system could be, um, I'm not good enough. It could be a, a belief system of um, nobody wants to hear me. Uh, it, could be, it could be anything around those lines of, it's usually obviously a negative belief system, something that, um, that we repeat to ourselves over and over yeah. again. And, and so that, that belief system then just stays with us, and we go through life thinking this is the ultimate truth. And so because we think it's the truth, that's how we present in life, until somebody actually challenges you and says, actually, do you, are you okay if we look at that belief system? And maybe it's not true. Maybe you have a beautiful voice, and maybe that voice is ready to shine now. And so to change that narrative into a positive and to let that person express. And oftentimes what I find is that person may or may not have a cathartic experience, or they'll start crying. And all of a sudden, they release this sense of weight that they've been carrying in their lives for so long. And I see Amy nodding her head. Um, yeah, it's, it's this, um, this sense of almost relief that this person has held on to this, this thing so long, and they release it, and now all of a sudden they have a voice that they did not have before. So, and I, that I find is just so inspiring to see.
0: That's beautiful. Thanks for that story. That belief, no one wants to hear me, you know, on several levels people may have that, right? And then this idea of now I have a voice, people want to hear me. So what sounds great is that you're working with them both on that kind of personal, interpersonal, conversational level. But then there's this part where they actually do something in the physical world with their physical body. That seems to be the unique combo that you bring. Exactly.
3: And it also links in then also with the breath because obviously where do we hold our breath oftentimes is isn't either in the throat or in the abdomen. And so if somebody is unable to actually vocalize or sing through something uh, or growl through something, whatever sound you might do, we want to start with the basics. And the basics of singing is breathing. And we all breathe, so breathing is multicultural. So it's, it's something everybody can do. So uh, so going back to the basics of learning how to breathe deeply, and that'll also soothe the, the body because it, it brings you into this kind of rest and restore, relaxation response.
0: Right, I just want to write down, breathing is multicultural. <laughs> that was like, I mean, of course it is, but I've never heard it put that way. But that is beautiful, right? I mean, everybody it's something super common across everybody. And in Canada, when we have people from all over the world, it's just an invitation into their world because everybody breathes. Yeah. Love love that. Thank you. And Amy, over, over to you. You talked about resetting your relationship with your body and then working with people with drug and alcohol addiction. So what is it for you? How do you combine you, uniquely these two modalities?
4: Absolutely. Well, we're at such an exciting time for counseling and for uh mental health and healing because we're beginning to understand that in north america and western europe with the the narrative has been if you've had something emotionally go wrong you have to go and you have to talk about it and you have to go delving into your early whatever it was and and tell the story and um for some people that's very helpful but for some people that's completely unappealing and so they don't seek help because they don't want to go into it verbally maybe maybe they just don't want to want to talk and that's that's really valid and what we're learning is that that's only one way to heal and so what's so wonderful about having yoga therapy as an option is that it gives us lots of different choices so we can talk if we want we can move if we want we can breathe if we want we can sit in silence if we want whatever door is most comfortable for an individual to walk through, there's the potential for healing. And if you're with someone who can help keep you safe and help uh, keep, keep you in, uh, basically it's kind of like holding a cocoon for someone, right, and, and it's, they can start where they wanna start, they can start where they are, and they can have the opportunity to heal In whatever way feels most accessible to them.
0: Do you have a a quick example that might kind of bring that to life for listeners?
4: Absolutely, well I've done, there there were a lot of people who who showed up at our center who um, had experienced trauma or PTSD and again we're understanding that PTSD it can happen through things like experiences in the military but it it also happens in everyday life with um, early childhood experiences and um, Sometimes that manifests as chronic pain sometimes. Sometimes it shows up in a, in a lot of different ways and I'm thinking about one person in particular who um, Felt like when when everything was coming up for him in terms of him really being in his PTSD symptoms, and I do want to say there's there's a, a great movement to change the the terminology from post-traumatic stress disorder To post-traumatic stress injury as it's something that happens that we can heal from. It's not, it's not, it's not a disorder that you are um, he found it very useful to, to, we talked about it being kind of like there's this storm going around you, but there's the eye of the storm that's always still, and it's kind of this plumb line of stillness that even if you can't feel it, it's there. And so his practice was very much just about that when he felt things kind of bubbling up for him, that he just looked for, he just looked for that place of stillness and oftentimes was able to, to find it which meant he was able to tolerate all of these, the, the, the flooding of all these um, emotions and, and thoughts that would come up. And so much of, of healing from a traumatic disorder is being able to tolerate the feelings that come up and have them come down again safely, right? It's like your emotions didn't get to finish, something got interrupted. And um, so that would be one example of, of how, how it helps.
0: Nice example. So just to pull things together here, um, you've just met now at this conference, right? And it sounds like you're thinking about next steps and collaborating, although I know there's a great amount of kilometres between the two of you. (laughs) What's cooking? What do you see in each other when you hear each other's stories? Christina?
3: Um, Well, I thought it was really... um Kind of serendipitous how Amy and I seem to have a lot in common, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, just from the artistic background to um, what shoe color we decided to wear for the <laughs> conference. We, uh, I changed shoes by now. <laughs> <laughs> red shoe <laughs> so it was it was really interesting, um, and just it's been really refreshing to meet somebody who's so open-hearted and kind-spirited like Amy, and so uh, we just kind of decided to maybe start working on uh, something in a literature format together.
4: So so simple. writing
0: a paper, a blog, uh, something, it, research.
4: We're in such early yeah. early days here, but um, we've, we've been so struck by, uh, there seems to be such a hunger for this, right? Like people, pe- so many people have had experiences with yoga, with breathing, with meditation, that um, they know that there's something there, right? And they, they want to learn more and they want to, um, I think they're looking for something other than just the, you know, this is going to change what my butt looks like in my yoga pants. <laughs> They're looking to get back to um, its healing components yes, and how to do that in a way that, um, as Christina has said, in a way that's culturally sensitive and in a way that's safe. So so we're, we're just so excited. All right, to, we're going to look
0: forward to seeing that next thing. We'll, we'll search it on the Internet and find you guys. The last question in 30 seconds each. From your own personal stories, you shared some of your twists and turns and your career and life stories. What's one thing you can share with listeners that you've learned about making good choices in life and career? Some piece of advice that you might share based on your own personal lived experience? Amy?
4: Um, I would say, to for, for me personally, um, slow down. <laughs> right take the time to check in I, I had a counselor mentor who would say yellow light yellow light yellow light just be able to check in
3: i think i would second that i think the ability to slow down in our especially busy society is not encouraged enough and i know that when you're able to slow down uh you're able to listen inward a lot more and uh and maybe block out some of what the external environment is trying to tell you rather than to listen to what your heart's actually telling you what to do
0: great advice christina gentile and amy rubin thanks for joining us here on career buzz i'm your host mark franklin if people want to find out more about you is there a website where should they go what can they do uh,
4: yeah for me it's uh, amy rubin yoga therapy uh, my website's currently
3: down but you can reach me at c tina gentile, G-E-N-T-I-L-E at gmail.com.
0: Thank you both for joining us on Career Buzz. Thank Thank you you very much, much, Mark. You've been listening to interviews reported at the Canadian Counseling and Psychotherapy Association's 2019 conference in Moncton, New Brunswick, here on Career Buzz, where Canada's unique radio conversation that empowers lives, enriches careers, and energizes organizations. I'm your host, Mark Franklin. You can find out more about me at careercycles.com. If you have comments on today's interviews, please email me, Mark with a K, at careercycles.com. Technical production today was by Kat Klippenstein. Catch Career Buzz every Wednesday, 11 till noon Eastern time on CIUT 89.5 FM in the Toronto area or CIUT.FM worldwide, go to careercycles.com and click podcast. I'm Mark Franklin. Thank you for listening to Career Buzz.